This is unstructured. Hey, everybody. Today, I am beyond myself honored to have um, who I consider a podcasting legend now, Alex Lindsay. Now, Alex is significant to me because I started listening to podcasts on an iPod. Imagine that with the spinning wheel and everything. And one of the first guys I listened to was Alex Lindsay on the show Mac Break Weekly. Now, I've been listening to Alex now for on and off probably 11 years. See, now I feel old. <laughs> 11 years? How can I be doing that for 11 years? <laughs> well, you kind of go in and out, too. You, you're not always on the show. You're definitely one of the regulars, but I know there were, you've right. took, taken some times in between. Yeah, you know, it. my uh, what we started obviously doing a lot of podcasting. We, I got excited. I was working with Leo a lot. Um, you know, I was on the screensavers with Leo uh, back when it was still uh, tech TV. Oh, and okay. So, so I was a regular on, on that first on screensavers and then on call for help. And then I actually went when Leo moved to Canada to do his work, not moved, but relocated for a week each month. Um, I would uh, go up there and I would just go in for a day cause they were recording four shows at each day. Oh, wow. So I, my, my weekly episode for Canadians was me going for one day and just recording four episodes. And so, so I, uh, so I went up with him. So when Leo started getting into podcasting, you know, it was something, you know, obviously we were doing a lot of video production and it was something that I was really interested in. And so we started a bunch of podcasts and, and most of them have not survived, uh, except for Mac break weekly, which I handed off. I started it with Leo and then told Leo, you should just take this. And I knew it'd be much more successful under his wing than it would be under mine. And a lot of our production, today is really, you know, for a lot of companies. And so it's oftentimes I have to disappear for weeks on end to work on one project or another. So it, it really, I'm really glad that I, that Leo runs it each week with, with or without me. That's awesome. I, I did not realize all that. And it's funny because I actually watched Leo back in ZDTV days Yep, yep. and a little bit into tech TV. Then I couldn't get anymore between moving or whatever. It, it wasn't available on my cable network. And so I was really bummed out. And then it became G4 tech or something. And it was kind of garbage. <laughs> so yeah, I yeah. Once, it, once it got bought, it was, it kind of went downhill from there. And, and it was, you know, I, uh, it was such a great, incredible experience. You know, it was one of those things that was kind of serendipitous. I, I, you know, Pixel Core had started, we were training people. So the Pixel Core kind of began as this, you know, I, I had this idea, I, I finished working on Star Wars and, and at, at ILM, and I was like, I can train everybody to do this, you know, like everybody could, you know, I'm using a Mac, I can just do this, you know, on, on a home computer, and everybody can do it. And I'm just going to train the world to do visual effects. That was my big idea. And the problem really got into was, you know, well, it started with, literally, you could just show up at our office on Mondays, it was Mondays were graphics nights, and I was going to show something and some other people would show a couple things that were within the pixel core and the pixel core really consisted of every between five and 10 people would show up every, every Monday about an hour and a half before the graphics night. So like five 30 and I would sit mm -hmm. around and go, okay, this is the pixel core. We're going to learn how to do media. We're going to take over the world. <laughs> All <laughs> right. So that, that, you know, like, yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, and so, um, uh, so we were like, this is what we're going to do, you know? And, and so then everyone was like, okay, we're ready. And so then they would just show up and then the next week more people would, some people would not come back and, and it wouldn't cost anything. You know, people would just show up and, and they'd get the same, you know, hour and a half of me saying, we're going to 
all learn video. We're gonna take over the world. And so, uh, so anyway, so it just kind of built up organically. Once we got to about 200 people, I was like, I might have to actually charge for this because I can't manage, you know, we we had, we're paying rent and things. And, and so, uh, so we started charging 50 bucks a month because we just made it up. I was like, well, let's try 50 bucks a month. And everybody, almost everybody signed up. And there's like 50 people that Hmm. were like, this is crazy. And 150 people said, that's fine. And, uh, and so, uh, so then we started doing it and then we made it and that was fine. And we built teams, teams that were working on different things and, right. and everything else. And, uh, in the middle of all of that, one of the people that came was someone who worked at tech TV and he, huh. and, uh, and Peter said, you know, why don't, have you ever thought about being on tech TV? I mean, you, you know, and I was like, I don't even know what tech TV is. Like, I didn't know at the time. I didn't know what tech TV was. I don't, I haven't watched cable. I haven't had cable for a long time. I, I, wow. since the late nineties. And, um, and so I, so I was completely out of the, you know, I, I, when I worked at Lucasfilm, I didn't have any, um, the, I didn't have any cable where I lived. I, I know that sounds crazy, but I had a very high tech <laughs> job and the, the cat, almost the cabin, literally I didn't have central heat. Hmm. And so, which was great. You'd go and you'd be in computer land all wor- all day and you'd go home and you'd chop wood to literally to keep the place warm. Keep so, and um, it did have electricity, which was good, but but it didn't have any central. <laughs> that it just had a wood stove, and so um, but it was three miles from the ranch, which was just nice because I could get to work quickly. And and so uh, so anyway, uh, uh, so Peter said, you know, he said, do you want to go and 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 be on the uh, on the show? I, I'm sure I could get you on as a guest. And I was like, sure. And I was super super nervous, uh, you know, because I'd never been on a. I'm, I've been on a lot of radio. Uh, I grew up as a host on radio show. So, um, Hmm. I was, and so I spent a lot of time on radio, but not on, on TV. And so, and I had never seen tech TV. And so they sent, they gave me some VHS tapes that I watched. And, and uh, I have to admit when I watched it first, I thought "Eh, it's a little corny, you know, but it was, you know, I was was like, but I'll give it a shot. And I remember practicing for a week, (laughs) trying to make sure that I got it just right. And, um, trying to fit into seven minutes was like anything complicated was difficult. Uh, and I went on and, you know, didn't, didn't screw it up. I mean, when I look back on it, I was kind of embarrassed at how quickly I was talking and how, how I did everything, but I'd never done it before. Um, and, and it was just such a great experience that fortunately they, they, they had me come back a couple more times, um, 50 or 60 times. And, uh, and I got <laughs> a couple of few, well, and it was, it, it, it evolved, you know, like I was doing kind of visual effects, how to's and then. And then Bert Monroy was the other person they brought on that did Photoshop and Bert's, you know, amazing. And what's funny is I actually learned Photoshop from Bert. So it was funny to have Bert on tech TV because I was like the next generation down, you know, because I had learned it from him and then used that to get into into Lucasfilm. And and so and he had been at Lucasfilm. So so it was just it was or Lionel. And so so it was uh, it was just this odd circle of us uh, being on the show. And then I you know, I was able to really practice doing it. And so I figured out that, oh, you shouldn't do something that's seven minutes long. You should do something three minutes long because Leo's going to ask you a lot of questions, you know, and, uh, and so and so you'd simplify it and then you would do other things. And so, so all of that, that help though, um, that Leo asked the questions. So that oh, way- yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the job of a host. You know, that's what you're doing now. Well, um, but a job, you know, the job for a host, I think is, when someone goes too deep into the weeds, the job of the host is to pull them out of the weeds. And when they don't say enough, the job of the host is to pull it out of them. You know, so, and that's really the only thing a host does <laughs> is, it, you know, is just shut them up when they're saying too much that going down some rabbit hole and pull it out of them when they're not covering that piece. And so, and Leo is the best in the world at, at doing that. I mean, it, it, he's just, 
I'm always amazed at his ability to just, I mean, he's, he's, you know, in my, in my opinion, kind of my mentor, (laughs) you know, and and not, not so much that he gives me a lot of advice. It's just that being on the show, I learn a lot about how to do a show, uh, watching him kind of manage, you know, manage that process. How to do a read too. My God. Oh, he, yeah, he can do a single. I used to, I, I will say I used to be able to do single reads as good, as well as Leo when I was in radio and I did it every day. But when I fill in for him, I, I realized that that part of my brain is just not there anymore. <laughs> I mean, cause there's a, there's kind of this, like, there's this weird, when you do a read, what you're doing is you're kind of, there's a short term memory thing that you do. It's kind of like playing the bagpipes or the didgeridoo where you you're pulling in information, you're holding it just for a second, buffering it and then pushing it out your mouth. And like when you read a when you do a read, a lot of times like you have to get really good at your eyes are actually a line ahead of what your what your mouth is saying. And right. and your brain slowly gets good at doing that. And that's how you get a good read that has great expression and because you're actually buffering it in your head to allow you to to figure out how you're going to say something uh, while oh, wow. you're while you're doing it, and 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 it was something that I got coached on early on because I wasn't good at it when I was 19 when I started on radio. Uh, but one of the radio hosts, you know, was like, "Okay, this is what you got to do. You got to learn to read ahead." You know, you know, and and so and so uh, you know, so you get good at it, but it, it is something that it's a muscle that if you stop using it, it atrophies a lot. I never knew that te- that was the exact technique. That's, That's really a, good information. Yeah. It makes it easier. It, it's just harder. To, it's hard to get doing it at first, but you have to get, you know, get yourself a couple words, you know, eight or 10 words ahead of, of your mouth. And then your brain has enough time to think about how you're going to express it and what you're going to do. Um, and it's, but it is like, it's again, it's like uh, a bagpiper or, or a didgeridoo. You're, you're doing something that your brain isn't built for. Wow. Okay. So you really have to practice it. I'm sure a bunch. When you do reads, you just practice it. You just get better. You know, you, you get one word ahead, two words ahead, three words ahead. You just keep on, you know, getting, getting good at it. And your brain will slowly learn to buffer, buffer the, buffer the, the text. Well, while we're in this territory too, and you had mentioned Photoshop, um, it's not many people who have a uh, unit of currency named after them. <laughs> yeah. How did the Alex come about? It was, it was just literally, it was a single comment. Like I, it, I don't know how this whole thing became, uh, you know, got, got out of hand. I literally in one show, it was just, we were talking about how much software should cost professional software, not, not consumer software, but we were talking about how much a good price for, and I think in, the, in at the moment we were talking about Maya and I th- said that Maya was too expensive then, you know, and, and they shouldn't charge as much as they're charging. And so the, the, I just said the right number is the price of Photoshop. Everybody has Photoshop. It's a reasonable price for it. It's seven hundred dollars, you know, six ninety nine or whatever. It was like seven hundred dollars, and so Leo just was like, "Oh, that, you know, that that's how much you think it should cost." And then the next thing you know, I, I, we were to find it someday. What? But there was a one original conversation where I was talking about the right number for a professional product is seven hundred dollars because that's what Photoshop is, and somehow it went from being a Photoshop to an Alex. And so. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't have any part of it other than it showed up in my Wikipedia page and I was like, what? <laughs> well, you you famously um, seem to pick the most expensive toys to share on the show, at least did for a while. Well, I, I do. I try to I try to vary it. So sometimes I'll go through kind of a stage of things that are inexpensive or cheap. But the reality is, is that I, I spend a lot of money on equipment and and. It's different when you're doing it for professionally uh, than it is when you're buying something for yourself. I mean, I don't buy myself things that are that expensive. Uh, I don't have that kind of money. So, but I, but I do uh, buy stuff for work um, that is expensive because 
when you're using something that's generating revenue, it becomes much more important to have it be reliable and work well and sound good and look good. And, and so, so it, that cost is, is um, it may seem it's a lot for a consumer to be a lot for me, mm-hmm. but it's not a lot when you're talking about using it over and over and over again. And, um, and so, you know, and, and we've been very fortunate. The cost of production has gone way down. You know, so even though those num- those things look expensive, they are a fraction of what they used to be. I, I buy, um, I have a lot of Blackmagic switchers, and uh, and those things cost anywhere from a thousand dollars to five thousand or six thousand dollars each. The first switcher I bought was a Panasonic switcher that cost, I think, twenty six thousand oh, dollars, and wow. it does nothing compared to the Blackmagic switcher. And so, so and 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 the big the big switchers in the trucks that we rent are, you know quarter million dollars each you know now they do wow. they, they do more <laughs> than the black magic switcher uh, they don't have to be eight me's and you know there's a lot of complexity to them and everything else but the point is is that they that uh you know in the production world that i live in i'm actually not spending that much money but in a compared to consumer solutions it's definitely a lot of money now is it meant to also be maybe a little aspirational like um what people are striving to become more professional better yeah i mean um, i think above that- it's just that I think that a lot of people don't in, in the professional area, a lot of people just don't know what's possible. So they, you know, they hack things together because they don't know that there's a better product out there that can that can do it. So it's, it's it, I don't know if it's aspirational as much as just saying, hey, there is actually a really good tool for this. You know, I, I like, for instance, my mic right now, maybe your mic, I'm not sure what you what you go into the computer with, but I use a USB right. pre you know, for, um, for my input. And it's just, a, it's, it's, you know, it's not cheap, <laughs> right. but it's, uh, you know, and I'm now moving to a mix pre, which is even better than the USB pre. Uh, and, uh, the mix pre is, you know, it'll record locally and it's got a much better preamp and it's got, you know, a bunch of other, um, you know, bits and pieces. And so it's, it's a, it's an incredible, um, you know, little box and it's, you know, $600 or something. So it's expensive in that sense, but it's always going to work and you're going to sound great. And if you're using it once a year, it's not worth it. If you're using it every day, it's pretty awesome. Speaking, you know, talking shop on that, do you guys all double end your shows when you record Mac break? No, no. Mac break is what you, what you, you know, WYSIWYG, you know, it's, it is, um, they record the program. Um, they don't do any ISOs on it. Uh, if it falls apart, they'll edit down, but they won't, they don't do it. I, when I do radio show, radio style shows, when we used to do this week in media, which we may turn back on sometime soon, mm-hmm. uh, we definitely double ended everything. You know, that's a that's a big and and we're planning to as we move forward with some of the radio shows that we're hoping to release um, sooner late late this year, early next year. Uh, we plan to use, for instance, mixed pre's on all of them, and then and then you just okay. hit yeah. record and just double end. Like the tool we're the tool we're using right now is called Squadcast. It's really cool. I haven't seen it before. Like I was like I was like you know like when uh, when I looked at it, I was like, this is pretty awesome. And it well, does. We're actually double ending. Yeah, that's that's cool. At a sixteen bit wave. So, and that's why I was asking. Is I managed to find a way to have a tool to double end. Yeah. Dynamically. Yeah, I like it. I like I. I you know, web pages always scare me. So, but, but, <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed with uh, the quality of, of what we're, what we're using right now. So it's, it's cool. I'm definitely going, I'm taking notes. <laughs> I'll let the developers know. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So going back to your story, you went from tech TV and what, what happened to tech TV? I mean, it, it seems like it just, I have no idea. Uh, they didn't make enough money. <laughs> you know, like that, that turns out to be the, the end of most companies is that you don't make enough money. So I, I don't the, the you know, it's a, it's a tricky business, uh, you know, with cable, especially in in that area. And and I can't say that I actually 
I don't have enough inside knowledge to know what, what happened with tech TV, just that they, uh, it wasn't making enough money and it got sold. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's a shame. I loved it. I, I almost feel like maybe it was a little ahead of its time. It might've been. Yeah. And I think that the, the, one of the problems that it had was that, you know, it really belonged on the web and it was stuck in TV. And so you, you have to deal with getting subs at all these different cable networks, sub subscribers. Um, right. And so you're trying to get, you know, you have to get, cause you're not trying to get people to come watch you. You're trying to get cable uh, distributors to buy to buy you, you know, like, so, right. so the way that those work is, you know, H I don't know what they cost now, but back in the day, you know, HBO would be $8 or $10 per sub, you know, but the, the little stations like tech TV might be a quarter a sub or 10 cents a sub or 50 cents a sub. Mm -hmm. So if you, but you're not, you can't get individual people to subscribe. All you can do is run ads on the network that say, if you want to see prime sports network, you know, you need to, you know, you know, call your cable operator. And then the cable mm -hmm. operator decides to buy as a package. And that's that aggregate is how you pay $40 a month and you get, you know, this number of channels and some of the channels, you know, would go, you know, they, their business model, like HBO's was, you know, getting subs. Other ones are free to air. And they do that because they, they want to make all their money on advertising. But that usually means they don't, they don't, the, you know, the model that really worked for everybody was the fact that they could get everyone paying. And now they're going back to getting everyone paying by, you know, it took a long time to unwrap those agreements. Mm -hmm. So you can't just, the cap that's why we have to do that stupid code that you have to type in, like, is your cable provider Comcast or, oh, yeah. you know, all that right. stuff. That is because of those agreements that, that all the companies are slowly unwrapping. Right. So, so the, you know, like that's what you can tell that they've unwrapped because you can suddenly get their content, you know, directly from with an app. Mm -hmm. And so, so that unwrapping is, is slowly happening from the cable, you know, which is obviously terrifying for the cable networks because they not the cable the, networks, but the cable providers, because, right. you know, they're, they're getting, um, you know, disenfranchised. <laughs> That's why Comcast bought NBC, right? Yeah, they have to get onto the content. You know, they're trying to stay away from just being dumb pipes, which, you know, which is, is not a place that they want to be. They don't want to be in a highly commoditized market. Which I'd prefer they were, but <laughs> that's just my personal preference. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, now they're trying to obviously what they want to do is figure out how to make money with those pipes. And so that's where we get into the whole uh, net neutrality uh, mm -hmm. battle which is um, probably not as nefarious as it sounds. I mean, I know I know that we're all anti, you know, we all want net neutrality and everything else, but the, you know, what they're, what they're trying to do, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm for it, but I, understand. I, but I understand where they're coming from, which is that, you know, a huge portion of their pipes is, is being controlled by a handful of people that are making a lot of money on those pipes. So Apple mm -hmm. and Facebook and YouTube and Netflix. And so what they want to do is not they don't really want to charge us more money they don't want to charge uh the little guy more money uh right. what they want to do is they want to zero rate all of those organizations so they want to make apple and netflix and everyone else pay them um and what they want to do is bring your this is what they do want to do is they want to take your subscription and say you get 200 gigs right because right now i don't know i use terabytes you know, from Comcast, <laughs> you know, like cause my whole family, like I haven't, I don't have a cable subscription. So everything we watch is data and my right. kids sit there and watch YouTube and my wife watches Hulu and I watch, you know, Netflix and Apple. And, and so, so we're all, you know, pulling all this data in and going through terabytes. What they want to do is lower that down to 200 gigs or 300 gigs, but mm -hmm. zero rate, all those things that we, that we use and push that cost back off to the, 
um, to the uh, folks that are generating that content. And that's the thing that, and so of course, Google and Facebook and YouTube and Apple and Netflix don't want that. <laughs> yeah, they, right. don't, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't want to do that. And, and, you know, it doesn't really, you know, the, the, the functionally, you know, we talk about the little guy getting pushed out because now only the big guys can do it. And the little guy's been pushed out for a long time. Let's be clear <laughs> that, you know, this is, you know, without peering relationships, you have no chance of really competing, you know, in, in, um, uh, you know, in live or, or streaming. So, so the little guys aren't, don't have that access that, that we think that they have, you know, that's kind of a simplistic view of the process. And so it, it's one of those things. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing to watch. Um, I kind of understand it. Um, I actually have to say that I've gotten to a point, uh, that I don't, I don't know what I think. <laughs> I'm not, but I'm not heavily pro or, or against net neutrality. I just don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how I feel because I, I really understand the business of both on both ends right and it, i'm sure there has to be a balance in there somewhere well the balance is is that we'll all go somewhere else i mean the the thing is is that the, the, the these i guess what i feel the balance is for these cable operators is that they are not the big game in town you know they are there are five large companies the five largest companies being apple microsoft amazon google and facebook that if they decided that this isn't working for them they could crush these cable companies or buy them at any point in time with cash. You know, the, so, the, so the evening thing is, is it, it can only get, you know, it can't get that bad because these guys, you know, the reason that we have the kind of speeds we have right now is because Google started rolling out fiber and threatening to, you know, you know, change, the, you know, it wasn't going to happen without Google, you know, and so Google mm-hmm. doing that is what is what had, uh, you know, pushed AT&T and pushed everyone else to, to provide this really Comcast to provide really fast internet because they um you know folks like google were gonna run them over otherwise and that would just come back you know oh that's what i want is uh more competition it's a very highly regulated market yeah and we i I can tell you personally i've suffered or suffered for a long time with you can have cox and have cable service or you can have nothing Mm -hmm. and if you want internet speeds you're stuck with one provider finally fios and moved into town with Verizon. So at least I have two. And you know what? Cox has gotten a whole lot more polite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's what happens with competition. And so it, and, and it'll be interesting to see how 5G, you know, adjusts a lot of that. For those of us living outside of major metropolises, probably won't affect us anytime soon. So it's going to be what it is. Um, but uh, for folks that are, um, that are in the cities, you know, 5G could make a big difference because, you know, what these folks are looking at is the ability to provide high bandwidth, low latency uh, to, uh, you know, so basically T-Mobile is now going to be able to get into being a cable provider. And awesome. and so, we'll, you know, like all of, you know, and, and AT&T and Verizon, but they're all fighting each other for those, um, that distribution in a way that mm-hmm. you couldn't do before. And so the, but the problem with 5G, of course, is the, it'll be the most, and this is part of why they want to get rid of net neutrality, is 5G will be the most expensive rollout in the history of the United, of the world. <laughs> like it is, it's so expensive because it, because you have to put nodes up every like 250 feet. I mean, these oh, are, wow. these are really small waves. And so they, you know, they'll get blocked by people, you know, like, so it's, it's not, it's not the kind of wave, wave uh, lengths that we're used to working with. And so we're most likely going to see them propagate in venues first and then slowly move to you know in metropolises and then and then out but the hinterland is not going to see 5g anytime soon which i don't know if we necessarily miss it i mean we've already gotten to a um, tipping point i don't know if you've ever seen this cartoon but i thought it was hilarious and it was 
um, talking about early days with like 3G and Edge, where I was like, God, I got to get to um, my Wi-Fi so I could download this. Right. But now I find myself turning off the Wi-Fi and getting LTE because the stupid thing's not loading. I no, I have I do the same thing. I do that in my office right now. I got a problem with one of my, my the AP in this in the insert studio that I'm in right now is there's something wrong with it. I have to, I haven't rebuilt it yet, and it's like I have to, I'm like oh, turn off turn off the Wi-Fi. And but, you know, that's how far we've come. I mean, think yeah. about that. Yeah, no, it's it's come a long way. The only thing is, I get these warnings from AT and T saying, "Hey, you've you you've used twenty gigs to this this month." You know, <laughs> so the only reason I really use Wi-Fi is to keep the my keep under my cap yeah well obviously yeah the hounds are after you you're like but wait i'm internet famous what are yeah, you gonna yeah. do about it yeah no it's <laughs> you know, it doesn't help as, as, as much as you would think I, i'm not internet famous enough <laughs> um so after tech tv you did the stint in canada sort of but then how did uh, mac break weekly come about i know you did mac break well, MacBreak was the beginning of that, and and we really uh, well, and I can't remember whether we started MacBreak Weekly before or after MacBreak, but we had this idea of doing um, MacBreak, and the idea was just you know let's do a podcast about Apple. You know, I like it. I like Apple. You know, I mean, I like Apple stuff. So it seemed like a fun thing to talk about. Um, it wasn't the same thing as what Leo was already talking about on Tech TV um, or or on on um, on Twit, um, and so so it seemed like a good a good fit. And it was something I was passionate about. And really all the podcasts we started, whether it was this week in media, gear, media tech, um, and the different Mac breaks, uh, I, it was just things I liked. I was like, I'm just gonna do shows about things I like. And so, uh, I'm, I, I didn't really, I can't say that I had a strong business reason for it other than I, I just didn't want to do something I didn't like if I was going to do it for free. And mm-hmm. so, uh, so anyway, so we started and I, the first thing we did was Mac break. And that was, I think in 2005 and it was with, uh, Emery Wells and Amber MacArthur and Leo and I, um, and and so we went around MacWorld and covered just did little segments, you know, that were mm. that were within it about different things. So that was that was literally episode one. And that was video though. Right? It was all video. That's right. Okay. And uh, we had some stuff the fall before that. I think in two thousand four, we were doing uh, we were doing MacBreak minutes, which were like one minute little tips and tricks, and. Mm. You know, it didn't really go anywhere. So, so anyway, so it was it was just hard to produce. It was just took a. I thought, oh, we'll produce them on a Saturday for the whole month, and we didn't. So it just became a thing. And uh, and so so this one we did, and then on that same week we we decided we were gonna, we recorded that live piece, and then we recorded a bunch of green screens, and that was the Mac Break video platform. And so it was shot in 1080p because I just bought this crazy camera, and um, and from ILM was selling to. Uh, of the Star Wars cameras, and so I bought one of them. Oh wow! And uh, so it was a Star Wars camera. It was the only 444 1080p camera in Northern California, and so so I bought it, and I was like, I'm going to shoot green screen, and we're going to it's going to be great. And so we shot uh, we shot that with. And Sal Segoyan came in, Amber was there, and Emery was there, and Leah was there, and we produced like 20 episodes or 25 episodes, and it was kind of this machine that we turned on. Mm-hmm. The problem was is then after that we uh, didn't. The, the the challenge was is that the the hardware that we had just wasn't powerful enough to really do all the high quality keying with at any real length. I was used to doing green screens with you know at thirty seconds each. Doing green right. screens at fifteen minutes and twenty minutes was a lot of render time, and it was breaking. There was all kinds of problems, and and so while I was working on that, I I had to put the second episode as me 
there's a little video called the road to 1080p. That was mostly, <laughs> I don't know how to get the rest of it working. So I'm going to talk about what I'm doing. And so, cause Leo was well, upset. Cool. Leo was upset with me because I had, we had started something and I couldn't get another episode out. And so I was getting a lot of angry emails. And so I, <laughs> uh, and so anyway, so I got that out. And what's funny is, is that turned out to be the second highest viewed, uh, Mac break we've ever done. Hmm. And, um, and, and so it was really popular. The only, the one, the only one that was more popular was we did one where I took the iPhone three GS, you know, with the first one with video and hmm. I put it on a shoulder rig and everything else, like literally the day that it came out and wired hmm. picked it up and, um, yeah, wired crushed our servers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was, uh, it was millions of views back before millions of views was a, a thing. So, um, it was kind of an interesting, interesting process. And so anyway, so we, we started doing Mac break weekly because it, audio was a lot easier than video and we were still doing Mac breaks. Or we were at the time. We don't do them as much as we used to. We're thinking about it again. Um, right. anyway, but we, uh, but we did a lot of, um, of the Mac break weeklies and, uh, and I gave it to Leo almost from day one. Cause I just knew that he would take better care of it. And I, <laughs> and I always felt like I could still do all my other Mac breaks and I would have the advantage of having this giant show that I could talk about them on. And, um, and, and so Leo uh, and Leo did much better with it than I ever would have. And so he's got, you know, a lot of, they got a lot of, we got a lot of listeners and, um, it's all Leo's fault and Lisa's fault. <laughs> okay. So now, um, you guys have gone through kind of some lineup changes. I think you started out with, um, was it you, Leo, Scott and Merlin? It's been all, all over. I mean, we've had a lot of different people on Mac break. Um, I think, yeah, Scott and Merlin were, were fairly regular. Uh, the only, consistency has been really Leo and I, uh, and then, uh, and, and even I dropped, you know, especially in our, in our most busy years, I was somewhere in the world all the time. And so I was probably only on half the time or a quarter of the time, but, right. but, uh, yeah, Scott and, and Merlin were on for more regularly, but we also had, I mean, um, we had Amber MacArthur came on a fair number of times. Uh, we had, um, uh, a lot of, you know, different, folks you know uh, jason snell from Macworld, and uh a lot of folks that are now at apple <laughs> that are hidden at apple now so um so it was uh it's been a great set of hosts i do think that we settled into just in my opinion the perfect mix of of people you know it's just a really it's just a, such a show that i enjoyed going to see you know it's it um i think that each one of us represents something very different and mm-hmm. but we also really respect each other you know so i you know, Renee is, um, you know, really knows the insider, you know, end end of what's happening and the, and and so on and so forth. I kind of look at it from the business end of what needs to get, you know, how to use the Mac. Uh, Andy comes from the consumer end, you know, that, that really thinking about the, you know, what the average Joe wants to do. And, you know, Leo kind of keeps us all in order. And, and it's just kind of this, uh, I I just think it's such a, uh, it's like, a good band just kind of comes together, you know, and, and, and it's, you know, it takes a little while to sort it out, but I, I, I can't imagine a better uh, group of people to, to do a show with. Well, I think it's interesting too. Um, I, the main lineup I remember for a long time was you, Andy Anako and Leo, of course. Right. Um, and then Renee came along, I think Renee is a fantastic addition. He yeah. seems to be on that. But what I find interesting is, your opinions and views seem to be um, evolving over the years. Like, uh, Most likely. They better. Um, if, otherwise, we're not growing. Right. Well, and it's almost become controversial at points. Or I, uh, 
Andy um, almost doesn't seem to care for Apple much anymore. Or, you know, he's he's definitely turned a little more fickle toward them. And and Leo as well. It, I, think, it's I, think a, we, I think we all have our moments um, that are... You know, the, the, we all have our moments where we're pro Apple and 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 anti Apple. I mean, I, there's definitely things that I pro- I'm probably the least anti Apple, uh, but but the no Renee uh, and maybe <laughs> Renee, yeah, Renee's probably on one end and Andy's on the other, and then I'm kind of Apple leaning and and Leo's kind of Android leaning, and so so you know we're the two of us are probably closest to the center, and you know, but but all in all, I think that we just want to. I think it's good for the listeners to have us not be fanboys, and so. When we think that Apple's doing something wrong, we need to say it, you know, and it's not because Apple isn't perfect. They make a lot of they do a lot of things that, that we don't agree with that I don't agree with. I'll talk about things that drive me nuts on the show uh, about what Apple does. I mean, I hate the fact that Apple hasn't released a laptop that doesn't have a touchscreen, you know, like, ah, you know, and I, you know, like and, 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 and I I feel like they're doing it just because it would blur the line too much and it would actually slow down the pickup of iPads. You I know. think it well, and Steve Jobs famously talked about the ape arm. It is. It's just that it, it, what 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 they miss if you're using a Surface, which I have, um, the you're, you can be typing, and then you just want to mm-hmm. circle something, or you just want to draw something really quickly on something, and that that interaction is the thing that is that is hard. You know, is that you can't. You're not going to sit there all day touching things. What you're going to do is you're going to work away and just the ability to touch things or circle things or to annotate things is what you want, you know, that that you just can't do. And so, you know, I end up in this kind of weird I've, I've gotten good at it, but it's still frustrating. You know, I'm, I keep everything in the cloud, you know, my and I work in pages and, mm-hmm. you know, specifically because it all sits in the cloud and it easily integrates between my my iPad and my computer. So and I'm constantly going back and forth between the two. So when I think about a presentation, I start on my iPad and I'm, I just draw every, I just sketch, you know, every, every slide, you know, this is what I, this is what I want to do. Um, the, then I, uh, when I finish that, I then move it to, to the computer and I make it look pretty on the computer, but I don't have, the problem is I was able to just kind of get a train of thought out and now I can just fill it all in. But then when I want to think about it, and add things. I look at it again on my iPad and I sketch things over top of what I already did. And I think about it and then I go back to the computer. There's like this back and forth and I'm just like, I cannot believe I'm doing every time I do it. I'm just like, I cannot believe I don't have a touchscreen on my computer. This is stupid, you know? And so, uh, but I'm not, I don't, I can't believe it's, it's not so bad that I actually go to using a surface, but (laughs) like (laughs) I have a surface that I use for things, but I don't, um, I, uh, I don't, I don't want to use it all day. I'm the reverse. I want a trackpad for an iPad. That would solve everything. Because, it would be it would be useful because yeah, I, that's what drives me crazy. Is I don't want to reach up all the time. If if I'm going to type, cool, but I want to still be able to manipulate things around. So no, I, I get that. Yeah, no, that, that would actually solve everything to me. Yeah, I, I, and I I feel like we're just in between. I sometimes I feel like there's some social engineering going on where Apple doesn't want us to go back to the us old folks folks go back to the old way. Like my kids. They they can use a mouse, but they find it to be like a little bit of a brick. I mean, they're just so used to, <laughs> they're so used to their iPad that they don't. The idea of having a mouse isn't that big of a deal to them. So it's it's kind of evolutionary. Yeah, and it, 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 you bring up a great point because um, well, you and I were born two days apart. Oh, really? It's interesting. Yeah, I'm July eighth, nineteen seventy. No, where were you born? Um, Tucson, Arizona. So was I. We might have been what? in the same hospital. <laughs> oh wow, St. Joseph's. I don't know. I'll find out. I'll find out from my mom. I'm actually going to Tucson. Um, 
hopefully in the, in a week or two. That is family crazy small world. I don't think there was probably back when we were born, there probably wasn't two major hospitals in Tucson. Uh, no, I think there was TMC and St. Joseph's or something like that. I'll find out. I'll find out. That's funny. We, we were probably in the same, same, <laughs> same hospital. Yeah, it was, I was in, I was born in Tucson. Wow. And I love okay. Tucson. I, I, I don't get back as often as I, I have family there and I just, just love, love being there. Not, not so much in the city city, but in the outskirts where the ranch is and stuff. It's pretty awesome. Well, I, yeah, I grew up on the Northwest part of town. Hmm. Um, we got subsumed by Oro Valley. Oh, right. Property. Yeah. Yeah. So we're on the, it was Tanka Verde was where the ranch was. I think it's on the East kind of. Yep. Yep. South. Other way. Yep. Other, other direction. Yeah. But wow. Okay. Small world. That's very cool. <laughs> um, on that point though, it's interesting because the iPad seems to be quickly adopted by children and the elderly. I notice that but all the time. All of us, all of us in between are, are wed to, you know, a laptop in the mouse. I think it's because they're not, because both folks that are older and children didn't really ever get into the computer. <laughs> so, right. so that, you know, if you didn't ever have all of this that you're used to, then, then it's, it's really easy just to, Oh, that's much easier and much more simple to do. Um, if you have used the computer a lot and typed away and everything else, it's, then it's really hard to give all of that up. And I think that, I, I think you're spot on. I think that that, that is the, the pickup that we see. Yeah, and us Gen Xers in the middle. Exactly, <laughs> well, exactly. The smallest gen- generation, I guess, so it makes sense on the scale. And we're broken. I mean, like, I can't, I started programming when I was 10 before we had typing lessons. And so I can, I type really, I type medium fast with three fingers on each hand. And, oh, yeah. yeah. And I can't touch type. My, I watch my wife, and she's amazing. Like, she types like 120 words a minute, and just like, just like, <laughs> and I'm like, I can't do that. Well, very cool. Now, um, to wrap things up, what do you think of the latest event? You have to be happy about the Mac Minis. Super excited. I haven't got it yet. Um, the I have to admit, I, I don't pick things up immediately, especially when they're brand new. I kind of go, mm, I'm going to let them release a couple first. <laughs> you know, like so. So I so while I'm, I you know, I don't. I, I mean, I jump on the phone pretty quickly uh, because we're reviewing it, and I, I I'll probably get the iPad. The Mac Mini, I'd like to see them ship a couple units to make sure that it it's working okay. Um, and, and definitely with the laptop, anytime Apple has a new form factor, you kind of, I, f- I find that I kind of want to let them, let it settle in. So, um, so I'm, I'm giving the, the Mac mini a little bit of time, but, uh, I'm super excited about the Mac mini. We have probably 30, 35 Mac minis right now, and they're all old and they haven't been upgraded because they, there weren't any upgrades to have. And so we're really excited about the idea of, of being able to have that much power in a Mac mini. So um, being able to do a lot more, we, we use them to glue a lot of things together. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. so it's really, they're really useful for us. Um, the iPad, I'm super excited about most of the USB-C, you know, the rest of the stuff is fine, but the USB-C means that we're now going to be able to take professional devices and, and tie them in. So, you know, I imagine black magic is going to give us a, a video input, you know, in straight into the iPad. Oh, wow. I wouldn't be surprised if we weren't streaming from our iPads. The iPad's processor is, plenty fast to stream HD, possibly even 4k. So someone's going to build something that's cool. I don't know. I don't have any inside information. I'm just saying that all the tools are there. It seems like physics at some sure. point. I mean, they're scary powerful. Yeah. Though. Yeah. I mean, you're not, it's, it's getting to the point where the, this is, you kind of feel like Apple's making whatever they had 
there was a gleam in their eye about what they were going to do. And they finally are getting to that point. You know, the iPad is what the iPad was meant to be. This is the first one. I think, I think the rest of them were all kind of like working its way there. This is mm. the first real iPad and, and the, and the watch, this is the first watch and the phone. I, yeah. I was going to bring that up. The watch seems like they're finally. Yeah. I mean, it was, I, I, I don't know what it was about it. I think it's the, the, the more complications or whatever, but, the, but I, I found that, that the rest of the other, I had all, I have all the other watches, but, mm. um, they were better than what I had before, which is, I had a good watch. I had a citizen, you know, Navahawk or whatever. And so sure. I, was, I was really happy with it, but, but having the ability to have time, you know, the, the alarms and timers and tie in if I wanted to, to other things, it was just enough to keep having the watch, right? It wasn't great. It was just better than the other ones. Right. And there was right. something about this one that went over the, that crest where I was like, Oh, I love this watch. You know, like I just, I love, I love having it. I love using it. I, I use all, and there was something about having more options on my, you know, on what I'm looking at and how I'm managing it that just worked. And so that last little 5% or 10% really made a difference for me. And, and I think the phone is largely the same way. Yeah. Oh. The only thing I have left on the watch is I'd like to see the Sapphire drop to the sport. Hey, what? I'd love to see the Sapphire face be available in the sport versus having to pay the yeah. couple hundred extra dollars. I Once just, it hits there. I uh, just, I just have the Sapphire. I mean, I, I mean, I don't have the Sapphire. I have the, just the sport because I'm just like, same here. I'm going to replace it again over and over and over again. So why bother? Now I wish, I also wish it was in stereo. See, this is my stereo camera. Oh, red, red camera. It's my Android, um, stuff. So, but I like stereo. So I, that's, that's cool. A lot man. of people say the cameras, the, 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 this, this, uh, camera is silly, but, um, it's stereo. You're taking stereo <laughs> pictures. That's all I gotta say. Well, you have all the cool toys. So that's, awesome. it's funny when you, when you buy something from red, the great thing about it is, is you forget that you bought it. It was like so long ago. It was like a year ago that I bought it, you know, on the first day that they announced it, I was like, Oh, I'm going to get whatever phone red's doing. And, uh, and then it just shows up in the mail and you're like, what is this box? And then you open it up. You're like, I got a new phone. <laughs> <laughs> do you get, do you get nailed by Indiegogo and Kickstarter campaigns? No. That you contribute and forget. I, 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 uh, I, I got nailed a couple times, but mostly I, I, early on, I, I put money into stuff that either didn't work or didn't work the way I wanted it to. And, and, uh, was goofy and I just stopped. I don't do any Kickstarters or Indiegogos. I just don't, I don't, I don't invest ever. Cause it's just, I, I, I don't think I ever got something that I was excited about, except for the glyph, you know, the little iPhone holder. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That I loved. There's been nothing else that I've ever gotten from uh, Kickstarter that I was glad that I did. <laughs> Sometimes the, simpl the simplest things are the coolest things. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I my whole thing now is I just go, I'd rather just wait. We'll see how they do. And I'll pay more when it works. You know, like, like you know, and, and I'm, I don't I don't need to get into the I'm going to save ten dollars two years from now. You know, I just just like eh, I'll just wait. I'm, I've become a curmudgeon about about it just because I just didn't I didn't pick well. well. I can understand that. So, um, what's coming next for Alex Lindsay? Well, we're probably doing more of what we're doing. So we we do a lot of production, uh, a lot of figuring out. Uh, I mean, what what we're really spending a lot of time on right now with our clients and with our plan is really thinking about the future of live. You know, what does, what does live look like as we move forward? And so, and how do we create a meaningful conversation with a lot of people? So like 
and because conversations are kind of everything, you know, if you're, yeah. a, whether you're a, we're having a conversation, see, and, yeah. and, but imagine this being, you know, the next step of this is you and I are having this conversation, but it's then being broadcast live to thousands of people. Mm-hmm. How do we take their questions and how do we make them feel part of the, part of that experience and how do them like really part of the experience? Not like, Hey, we've got a tweet, but like really have them engaged in that conversation, you know, in a real time way and in, in a meaningful way. And, and so a lot of our R and D is really trying to play with that idea. And we think that, or I think that it is the future of TV, you know, that we're going to, in the same way that we kind of move to social, there's this mm-hmm. conversation that I think is coming, which is that we're going to have conversation. We're going to have shows that are really all about reacting to the audience and not necessarily, you know, just, just kind of touching on the audience here and there. And when we get used to those kinds of shows, I think that, um, that we're going to have a hard time watching broadcast. <laughs> it kind of makes me think of improv. A little like improv. It's, it's a much different, it's just a whole different beast. When you start thinking about having these conversations, these, these, um, these large conversations, you, it is, it requires a different kind of host. You know, it doesn't, you can't read off a teleprompter. You can't, you have to know your subject matter. You have to be interested in that and you have to be authentic. And these are not all things that you find in a lot of hosts. And so, so it's a challenge to, um, to, it, it really changes the nature and it changes who's going to be successful, I think. So it, it's going to, be, it, it's really interesting. I think that that's, you know, we're spending a lot of time, you know, having that, you know, kind of in that conversation with a lot of people. And it does feel like there's something there, you know, and it's really hard to do. It's not expensive to do. It's just hard. So which, which, right. which we like, we like, we like hard things. Well, I, I think that um, we're getting to a point where the youth coming up will help crack this because yep. you and I still have um, antiquated references that we tie things to. Like um, we have a habit of thinking of podcasting like radio or at right. least my generation. Mm-hmm. And somebody else pointed out, I thought it was brilliant that we shouldn't be using radio as an analog for podcasts. We should use a bookstore as an analog. And that busted my eyes wide open. I was like, yeah, you're right. Well, when I think it, when we're, we're designing some podcasts that we want to do, like re- relaunching this week in media and mm-hmm. we're, definitely focused on live so it will be a podcast but Mm -hmm. we won't do any that aren't streaming somewhere you know because we want we want people to we part of the show will be the audience you know not it won't be just a one-on-one or three you know three or four discussion that we have to include the audience and we want them to listen to it while we're doing it now we may want to have a structured part of it that is going to be the podcast and then we'll take some of the other parts but the idea is, is there's a there's so much energy. If you look at what we do with um, the Final Cut user group, you know, virtual user group that Pixcore does on our on our YouTube page, mm-hmm. when we open it up to discussion, it just becomes this like an hour and a half just disappears, you know, and the view times are huge, you know, and and so because people feel engaged and they're and we're just having a conversation and they're they're asking us questions and having us talk about things that we never thought about talking about, but it's great subject matter and we know how to talk about it. Now I have to have great experts. I mean the guys that are. Sure. Um, Steve and Mark and, and Mike and uh, those guys are all uh, they are the the best, you know, at, at answering those questions. And you have to do that to make that work. Well, and you guys kind of have been doing that with the chat room and things like that, haven't you, in the past? We have. Uh, the chat room is is a relatively inefficient way to do that, um, but it's it's fine for now because there's not any better tools. But maybe someday someone will make better tools. 
And I think they were trying that with Periscope, but I don't feel like Periscope has really taken off like they wanted. No, the, the problem is, is that when you think about creating that conversation and having it become really large, you know, it's fine when a couple hundred people are watching, but when, when you have thousands of people watching, there's a whole different way that you have to start managing those comments. And uh, because it's, you know, how do you really pull the diamonds out of the rough? Because most of the comments are the rough. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I wonder if it would be a moderator type of situation where you have different tiers or something. Yeah, we've done that. We've built that. some stru- we've built some pretty interesting tools in the past that that allow you to have multiple moderators in the back end and kind of managing, you know, culling through that process. And you let the computer do some of the work. It turns out it's not very hard to filter most of the bad stuff out. And then and then and then it's um you know so the computer you let let AI do a little bit of work and then and then back it up with you know, human eyes, humans. So then things float up, then they look and then they elevate exactly. certain comments and things like that. Yeah. So with, that, the, with the tool that we've built for Facebook, from the time someone asks a question, it can go through one, one layer of uh, computer filtering and two layers of human filtering and be on an iPad in 60 seconds, you know? So wow. that's, that's the, and, that, and that's kind of uh, when you start playing with those kinds of tools and you start getting used to it, you're, you can't really operate a, a Q and a session without it. That's awesome. Where can um, people find out more about it? Or is it all? It's still... hidden. It's all internal. <laughs> so, uh, so it's, it's a uh, higher Alex there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, 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 someday we'll turn it into a public tool. Uh, it's not something that we mean to keep secret. We just don't, it's still, it's so wonky that we're afraid that, um, that folks, you know, will ask us a lot of questions and complain that this part doesn't work. We just know what buttons not to push. <laughs> so, gotcha. so, it's, gotcha. it, so it's not publicly ready, not because we're trying to hold on to it, just because we haven't cleaned it up enough to uh, let a bunch of people use it. Well, very cool. Now, Alex, this has been um, really a dream. And where can people find you? Uh, you know, the easiest place to find me is uh, on Twitter. Um, I mostly complain there, though. So you can so um, but but just Alex Lindsay. I think I'm Alex B. Lindsay on Facebook. And and I am uh, I think just Alex Lindsay on on Instagram. I take the Instagram. You know, I have all different things that I do all these things on. Um, also, uh, if you you know, we are doing about once a month, once or twice a month. We do little trainings or mostly just Q and A's on Patreon. So Pixcore has a little Patreon site. So it's like five bucks a month. And, you know, I will do, um, we do, I'll sit down or bring people in and we'll have Q and A's. And so if you're interested in that, um, jump into that as well. Oh, very cool. Hey, thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, the host of It's No Secret with Dr. T, which is a small business and marketing podcast. Each week, I interview business leaders who openly share the secrets to the massive success. It's No Secret with Dr. T will educate, entertain, and inspire you. Check it out. You'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can go to my website, TysonFranklin.com. I did not grow up with very much money. Money's energy. Money is something that, that really scares me. You had about 60 grand in debt. Money isn't the answer. Somebody should just give me a lot of money. My dream was to be the WWE wrestler, but you realize that your dreams change over the years. Money's a tool. It's a key to a gate. And at the other side of the gate is the things that you really want to do with your life. It's the things that matter most to you. It's pursuing those values that make you ultimately happy. Listen to Inspired Money at inspiredmoney.fm.